Hello and welcome back to another episode of You Want to Do What with Dan and Julie. Today we have Lara on, who is a zoologist and conservationist. Hi Lara, how are you? Hi, I'm good, thanks. How are you guys? All good. Yeah, very well, thank you. Um, so do you want to tell everyone a little bit about what you actually do? Um, okay, it's kind of a long story. Um, <laughs> but I, so I studied zoology for my undergrad at uni and then I did a master's in wildlife conservation and I've been really lucky in that a lot of my jobs involve field work. So I've worked with black rhinos in Kenya. I've studied dolphins off the coast of Zanzibar. Um, I've studied mouse lemurs in Madagascar. I've been incredibly lucky. Um, so my job really involves a lot of different things. Um, and right now I'm looking to go more into like a freelance kind of job where I'm looking at photography and creating short wildlife films um, and really doing science communication because I think it's really important that we get scientific findings out to the public. Absolutely. So obviously uh, animals and wildlife is a more, anyone in that field is, it generally comes from a passion. So where did it all start for you? Uh, I've been obsessed with animals since I was tiny. Um, And I always thought that I wanted to be a vet and that was my goal from the age of about three. Um, And then I went through a bit of a phase at school where I messed about a bit at A-levels and I dropped chemistry. And for anyone who wants to go into veterinary science, you you know that you can't really get into uni without a chemistry A-level. So that sort of shut a lot of doors for me. And I didn't even know that zoology was a thing um, until I actually got to uni. So I started off doing oceanography at university, which was very different to what I thought it would be. Found out about zoology and then changed after my first year. And it's just, I mean, it's perfect for me, but yeah, as I say, I, I, I always knew that I wanted to work with animals ever since I was tiny. So what actually is zoology? Cause I, I've only ever really heard of it, but I don't actually know what it is specifically. Yeah, that's okay. Um, So it's basically biology, but instead of having to do modules that involve plants or human physiology, you basically get to pick everything that's to do with animals and the natural world. So some of my modules included marine vertebrates or animal behaviour, loads of different things like that. And of course, you get to do fieldwork. That sounds, I mean, you've done some amazing things already, like the working with the dolphins in Zanzibar and the, and the black rhinos. Yeah. Um, do you have anything that sort of stands out for you? Oh, for me, it was working with black rhinos. Um, yeah. they're, so they're a critically endangered species. There's only about 5,000 left in the wild. And I was incredibly lucky in that I studied them for my master's thesis. Oh, wow. And because of the topic I was looking at, I actually got to track them. So I followed along behind them. And I got to do that for seven months and it was wow. just the most incredible experience I've ever had. Mm. And having worked with an animal like mm. that, I just, I'm, I mean, I'm so passionate about their conservation. I think they're absolutely incredible animals. And you know, I just really want to like advocate their conservation because a lot of the spotlight sort of goes to those charismatic species like elephants where humans can really relate to them. You know, they sort of, exhibit human emotions or seem mm. to at least whereas rhinos are a bit more you know sort of a bit on with it they eat grass though they or they eat their wood and stuff like that um and i just don't feel like they get the same attention so i'm massively about shouting about rhino yeah. conservation 
So what was, um, obviously you've, you've said you did an undergraduate in zoology and then moved on to do a master's. What, um, what was the process for you going from a, uh, your undergraduate? Did you take a couple of years out or did you go straight into the master's? And what did your master's really involve? Uh, so I went straight into my master's only because I thought it would be harder to get back into the mind frame of studying if I took yeah. a year out. Um, but I, I mean, I know loads of people who have taken a year out and like gone and worked somewhere and then come back to it and they've been fine. It was just, that was the right decision for me. Um, and I chose to do my master's because I loved the fieldwork aspect of my undergrad degree. Um, so the master's I did was actually, it was a master's in research, which is quite unusual, but basically you specialize in doing fieldwork essentially, or lab work if you're doing more of a biology based subject. Um, and it's sort of a stepping stone onto a PhD, which is what I thought I wanted to do at the time because I love fieldwork. Um, so yeah, that was sort of the thought process. I'm not sure I want to do a PhD anymore. Um, I kind of want to see what I can get job-wise with my master's, um, but it's something I haven't ruled out entirely. I mean, even from the last few, you know, first few minutes of talking to you, it sounds like an amazing job um, yeah. with the opportunities you've had and um you know uh, definitely me and probably you Jules have grown up watching David Attenborough documentaries and um it it just sounds like that's the kind of place that if you're an animal lover you want to end up yeah yeah was it it's always the dream job for you really yeah I mean obviously I didn't know about it until I was at university but it's absolutely the right job for me um Mm. I Obviously, I would still have loved to have been a vet, but the opportunities that I've had to get to travel to to Africa and to get to work with all these exotic species, I can't help but think I would have been slightly, I don't want to say the word bored, but if I'm just dealing with cats and dogs every day... We, we've actually landed in the right in the right job you know mm, we've actually just spoken to two uh two vets recently on the podcast um oh. and they sort of they love what they do and they, you know they love working with cats and dogs and they said a big part of their job is actually um sort of the mental health side of it and they find that very difficult um because they're dealing with these animals and i just wondered doing the work you do and, and following black rhinos and and any other animals Um, it must be hard for you to see some of the things that go on because there are some real, you know, atrocities at the moment in Africa with, with wildlife. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely really, it's quite a difficult environment. Um, First of all, it's quite like hostile compared to all the luxuries that we have at home. You know, sometimes you're out in the field and you get home and like you've got a tiny little bucket shower with cold water and just like small things like that. You have to be quite a resilient person. Mm. Um, But in terms of, actual sort of things that you see with the wildlife it is heartbreaking I I remember when I was doing my study um, there were three rhinos that were poached on the reserve next door Um, and that was really really difficult to hear especially because I was there at the time it just really hits home that we're doing so much damage and I I just don't see like this I don't feel like people are realizing that or they they don't realize that the scale we we actually had a, a conservationist on the podcast recently as well um called lucy and she was talking about the destruction that we've we have done and are continuing to do in the uk with wildlife and i have to admit i i was surprised at what we're still doing to the country knowing what we know now and it must just be you know worse in africa yeah i mean africa don't have the resources that we do um and they've obviously got a, a very it's a growing population it's growing at an exponential rate um so you know like they they need resources as well i mean 
we've hunted out all of our big predators you know we persecuted bears ages ago and they went extinct in the uk i think it was like the 12th century or something um and yet we're very quick to judge people in africa who might poison a lion after taking their livestock yes and yet it's very very hypocritical of us to have that view when we persecuted our big predators years ago um mm. it's a very fine balance and the thing is that there's not really any chance of conservation without the community so it's just a case of you know helping to provide things for the community like education and healthcare. because if you get things like that and also if you offer them jobs and you get them involved in the conservation work then they're more likely to to work with you and to help protect the animals i mean there's a there's a crazy stat where like most of the children in kenya have never seen an elephant or a rhino really yeah because i mean they're all in like private reserves or or places like the masai mara where they just don't have access to it safaris are so expensive they they don't have the access to see it so how can you expect a child to form an affinity with an animal that they've never seen what are some of the things or some of the campaigns or or projects we can put in place to to help save this wildlife because i always think this must be a huge huge task to even begin to sort of you know dent the surface with protecting elephants and lions because they are massive creatures and they need so much land to to survive and thrive yeah i mean there's so many conservation organizations that are already doing an amazing job I think it's more a case of raising awareness here because I don't actually think many people, as I said, are aware of the scale of some of the issues or because they can't see it and it doesn't affect them. They don't care about it in the same way. Um, so I actually think most of the work that we have to do is, is here and in countries like America where actually we've got a much bigger influence than we think. Um, and if just, more people talk about it and more people are aware and more people donate or support a cause the more work those charities can do and honestly they are doing groundbreaking stuff it is amazing um and there are conservation success stories as well like the elephant populations have massively increased have they yeah yeah elephants are like doing pretty well now obviously there's there still is a threat of poaching but Mm. it's nowhere near as big as the threat to rhinos oh wow there was that mountain gorilla um, family recently that um, David Attenborough view oh, went to view uh, see back in the eighties. There was like a couple of hundred of them left. Now there's a couple of thousand, I think. Oh wow, that's um, a Rwa- Rwanda, I think, is the gorillas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. that that was quite an incredible story. So, so it, it can be done. That's the thing; it it can. It's just raising awareness, like getting support, and then you know having like a strategy that you can implement and really sort of push it forward. I think one of the things I know you specifically deal with rhinos, but one of the things I saw was the um, lion habitat and how much that has, has disappeared and lion numbers um, from the beginning of the 19th century to where we are now. Yeah. That decline is, and I get it, lions are predators and they kill cattle and, you know, locals, you know, don't want them. But the scale of destruction of, of their habitat and their species is mad. Yeah, I, I find it crazy that lions are now extinct in 26 African countries that they would usually have roamed in. Jesus. Um, so the decline we're seeing is, you know, it is catastrophic and we do need to do something about it. Um, but it's sort of this negative circle and it's just, it keeps going round because the more habitats you lose, the more fragmented areas of wilderness. Yeah. So then populations become isolated 
in those tiny little reserves and it, it's just it all has a negative effect on everything there's so, I, many, I, so many like aspects to conservation that you have to think about i can't remember what what species it was but that had happened to the species and it'd been separated into loads of small little groups and then uh, they developed sort of mutations um, that meant they were more susceptible to infection or something and essentially it started to kill off the species just because their habitat had been broken up yeah i'm i mean that's entirely possible and especially if you've got smaller populations they become more inbred um and when you're inbred that does lead to to more risk of getting a disease and things like that so so whereabouts are you with uh, your conservation journey and what sort of your plan going forward uh, for your career I think it's a bit complicated um, because I was, <laughs> I was supposed to be in Zanzibar for the whole year. Yep. Um, but the project I was running, so that was that was my dolphin project, and it relied on international volunteers to come and help me collect the research. When um, you're back, I'll come. Let me know where. <laughs> I'll do that. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm back in the UK at the moment because obviously coronavirus has stopped all international travel and we just couldn't keep the project up and running. Um, so now, I mean, obviously I'd love to go back to Zanzibar, but I don't know how long it's going to take and I can't really sit around without a job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm doing more freelance things at the moment. I've been approached by quite a few organizations over lockdown. Um, I was lucky enough to go back to Tanzania whilst the UK was still in lockdown and I did a two month contract with a company called Acilia. So I was creating social media content to try and encourage tourists back to the bush. Um, so I really enjoy small things like that. And I think it, it gives me a bit more variety in what I can do as well. Mm. So when you, you came out of uni and, and you had your master's degree, what was your process to um, actually getting started in the industry? How hard did you find that? Um, I mean, it is difficult and it's a very saturated sector that like you have to be prepared for lots of no's, um, unfortunately. There's a massive bumblebee that just flew in the window. <laughs> oh, it's huge. Um, sorry. Where That's all right, I? don't worry. <laughs> um, you were saying when you got started, you found there's loads of competition yeah. and uh, it was hard to get started. Yeah, so you have to be prepared for a lot of rejection, unfortunately. Um, but I guess it's all part of the process of building you up. Um, I actually had to work in a restaurant for six months when I graduated from my master's because I was, I wasn't getting any offers or anything. And I, I didn't want to sit and twiddle my thumbs. I've never been that kind of person. Mm. Um, but actually that enabled me to save up loads of money. And then I just kept on applying for jobs, kept on applying. I got really close to some really big ones. Um, and then I was just turned away because of the lack of experience, which is something that happens in conservation. You have to have experience. Um, one of the ways you can get that is by volunteering or being a staff member for a voluntary organization where you don't get paid, but you don't have to pay for your accommodation or your food. Okay. So that was sort of my first job after I graduated from my master's. So I went to South Africa and I taught students about conservation and how to collect data um, on wild animals and things like that. And, you know, I wasn't paid for it, but that was a stepping stone to my next job, which was actually I was invited back to the reserve where I did all my black rhino research because my original study happened in the wet season and they wanted me to do a dry season comparison. So that was amazing um, and that was funded by a grant that they received. So again, didn't have to pay for anything, but I didn't get paid. But then it's just little building blocks on your CV. 
Um, and then the next thing I know, I was approached by the organization that I went to Zanzibar with and they asked me if I wanted to work for them. So I had an interview, got the job and that was my first paid job in conservation. So I just got my foot on the ladder and then <laughs> happened. Oh no. Um, but positive thoughts. <laughs> So what would be, um, obviously you've spoken about different uh, conservation things you've done, such as your black rhinos and things like that. Um, what would be an average day um, working on your thesis, going, tracking these black rhinos? Yeah, so I guess I need to give you a bit more information about what my thesis was investigating. Um, so I was looking at what food plants black rhinos eat and whether they're eating certain plants disproportionately to what's available across the landscape. So that sounds like a bit of a mouthful, but it's basically trying to work out if rhinos have preferences for certain species. And if they do, then we can focus sort of enhanced growth on that particular plant species. And the more yeah. food you have for them, then the more, um, the more rhinos you can support in that ecosystem. Yeah, really helpful data. Yeah, exactly. Really helpful. So I was following, so my day would be, I was up at five. Um, it's always very early mornings and I'd be up and we'd basically drive around searching for a black rhino. And when we found one, we'd get out the car. Um, I was always accompanied by a guide who knew exactly what he was doing. So I was very safe. Um, but we'd follow along behind the rhino and then identify what plant species they'd been feeding on. Um, and basically just trying to build up a picture of of what they preferred if they had preferences um so then i'd i'd, I'd do a backtrack is what we called it i'd go back to camp for breakfast and then i'd head straight back out to do a vegetation plot so i needed to have that background information on vegetation um, to work out whether the rhinos were selecting plants proportionately to what was available or disproportionately so what kind of um, job is this really? Are you employed, do you get employed by zoos, by charities, you know, other big conservation um, bodies? And is there a big mix of field work and in the office or can you choose one or the other? Yeah, I mean, so many different organisations will actually collaborate. So um, I went to Kenya to do my black rhino things uh, with Marwell Wildlife, which is a zoo in Winchester. Um, but their collaboration is with Lewa Wildlife, which is the reserve in Kenya. So there's lots, lots and lots of collaborations that go on between um, big NGOs, zoos who are, I mean, a lot of zoos now fund money into conservation um, because that's, that's now like their new focus, which is amazing. Um, and then in terms of office time, I mean, unfortunately, there is time behind a computer. If you're doing field work, it also means that you need to put all your data into your laptop and then you have to do statistical analysis to try and work out if there's trends in your data and then what that data is telling you. So, it, you know, it's, it's give or take for me, the field work is so amazing that I don't mind the office time, but mm. I don't think there's one thing where you have everything of what you want to do. Yeah. Okay. And what would be some of the personality traits that you see in yourself and those around you in, in similar roles um, that you think uh, really help and help people thrive in the, uh, in their career? Uh, being determined. <laughs> you, have to, you have to be really determined. You're going to get setbacks and people are going to say no. Um, but at the end of the day, I think quite a few people give up because um, maybe they are attracted by that stable salary or that stable job down the road um, whereas I was a bit like a Rottweiler, I just kept going until, <laughs> until I got what I wanted. Um, 
and I appreciate that it's really difficult to support yourself financially but you know it is possible and my work in the restaurant allowed me to do several jobs that I couldn't have done if I hadn't worked in the restaurant Mm. um so definitely dedication I think resilience as well you have to have quite thick skin you're gonna hear no a lot um or you're just not going to hear a reply from people that you speak to but that's okay it's all part of the process um so yeah just be resilient don't take it to heart if people say no because think how many other applicants are going for that job um and then also just try to be creative i think a lot of my interviews and a lot of the jobs that i've landed have been because of my social media which I mean, I I started it off just to share some of the photos that I'd taken on my research trips. And I very quickly realized that I could share important conservation messages with a a wide range of people. Um, And then I I worked really hard to grow my following. And actually, when organizations see that, you know, you you talk to, I mean, I I, so I've got 15,000 followers. When those organizations see that you're sharing content with those people every day and you're getting engagement back they they think you're doing something right Mm. um and it's just something different as well like i don't think many people would put extra time into something like that so it's trying to be creative and finding something that will set you apart from the rest of the field and what would be some of the biggest positives and opportunities you've taken out of this i mean we haven't got all day but the list for you must be endless you know the, the dolphins the rhinos what are some of the biggest positives you take out of this i think being able to work with like local communities in in different countries and really expanding my sort of views on like cultural heritage and and understanding the difficulties that they go through you know when you grow up in the uk it's very easy to have a certain idea of how things are done Mm. um so then to be able to work with these incredible inspiring people um i think for me that's one of the biggest positives and i've got so many amazing colleagues and friends that i've met through this job that i otherwise wouldn't have known um and then obviously just being able to to feel like i have an impact you know, i'm i'm working with some endangered species some of them critically so um and then to feel like the work i'm doing is actually going to be really useful in their conservation i think that's really really rewarding and it's definitely one of the most positive things for me and what on the other side of that what would be some of the uh the less favorable things that you've you've come across in the uh, (laughs) career um yeah long hours um some of the jobs i mean you're up at half five in the morning and you just keep going and you keep going until about nine o'clock at night um so yeah sometimes it's it's quite challenging and when i was in madagascar i was researching a nocturnal species of lima um so then that was really long hours sometimes that was a 17 hour day um i mean you'd always get a rest day the next time but yeah i think just long hours um being away from home sometimes you're in a place where there's no phone reception or there's no wi-fi um Mm. Madagascar was one of those so for six weeks I had no contact with anyone from home wow. uh, which I'm fine with but I know some people struggle so I think I think it's like small things that you wouldn't necessarily think about um, and yeah just maybe being quite far away from family you know if someone's ill you're quite it's quite difficult to get home you can't just drive an hour to go and see them and things yeah. like that um, yeah that that must have been a very cool trip with the lemurs because there's there's loads and loads of subspecies of lemur isn't there oh there's well there's loads of species of lemur i think there's okay. over 100 wow. um, also subspecies but yeah 
And how, how was that as a, as a trip? Yeah, absolutely incredible. Um, I mean, Madagascar is just, it's one of the most amazing countries, but again, it's just, it's in trouble. Um, so 90% of the primary forest in Madagascar has disappeared. It's, it's been cut 90%. down. 90%? 90% of the primary forest. Oh my um, God. So there's so many lemur species that are endangered or facing the threat of extinction. And unfortunately, it's again, it's this toss up because um, 90% or 80%, sorry, of the human population of Madagascar lives below the poverty line. And how can you tell them that they can't cut down the forest to provide firewood for their families or to cook food? I mean, they're not going to care about a lima species when their children are starving it's it's so difficult and conservation yeah. is as much about humans as it is about animals it just sounds like an absolute minefield because although we sit here and we say you know how can you tear down your forests and you rightly say we did it you know yeah. hundreds of years ago um we just we you know destroyed our country and what some people may say um but is is there what is the best solution that we have at the moment for these for these issues of deforestation and and loss of species is it the education you were talking about earlier i mean it completely depends on what aspect you're looking at for a country like madagascar yeah educating the the population but also giving them an alternative you can't Mm. just tell them to stop and then not expect them to be able to work or to make a living or to eat you know you've got to go in and give them an alternative um, but for things like deforestation in the Amazon, a lot of it is down to cattle ranching. Um, so in that case, it would be reducing the amount of meat you eat because Brazil is one of the biggest exporters of beef in the world. So it really does depend on what issue you're looking at. And it's never black and white. Yeah, there's no no one, you know, one size fits all solution to it. It's, um, it's a bit of a minefield. Yeah. But what would you say for people at home and the average person what what can they do just little things um to help um i think that a lot of people believe that their actions won't make a difference which is just the biggest fallacy um i think whatever decision you make in your day-to-day life it's always going to impact um your you know the supermarkets and things like that if you decide not to take a plastic bag then that's less of a demand if you decide to have one meat-free day a week you're reducing your demand for meat and ultimately your decision is having an impact on that on the consumerism um so i think it's just trying to get across that your actions do make a difference and i think a lot of people are like oh what's what's refusing a plastic straw going to do but the more pressure there is on organizations to stop providing plastic straws then the less they're going to go into the ocean i'd like to think uh certainly our generation are quite good with that to be honest with you Um, maybe it's the older generations that aren't as good that might be unfair but I think we really do understand that we're having a massive impact on nature yeah that that we want to change it I think you're right a lot of the younger generations are coming through and thinking how has this happened to our planet Um, Mm. and you just have to look at the sort of attitudes Um, again like maybe it's wrong to to say it's just the older generation but a lot of them are very against giving up meat even if it's for one meal um so i think it's just those old attitudes which we're struggling to change um and it also doesn't help that there's such a stigma against vegetarians and vegans but that needs needs to change and I, i sometimes i can understand why because there are certain individuals that maybe don't 
to like get the message across in the right way yeah the militant um, vegans yeah but yeah. i think that's the with anything you know yeah. the people who unfortunately shout the loudest generally get hurt the most and they generally probably don't put it across the best i think you can see that in politics or or in no, anything really absolutely you're right but i think it's just trying to show people that literally it's you don't have to be vegetarian you don't have to be vegan but you do have to reduce how much meat you're eating absolutely exactly and, yeah and be a bit more environmentally aware like where is your meat coming from is it getting yeah. from brazil or is it down the road from a yeah farm? don't buy new zealand lamb buy welsh lamb yeah. you know, it doesn't travel exactly. not nearly as far that so bubbles me like small changes you know but all those small changes have a big impact absolutely that, that i think there's i think this is right but i'll have to research this afterwards so don't quote me on this but i think the people of new zealand export something like 90 something percent of their lamb and then they import it from somewhere else oh my gosh yeah oh. but and that blew my mind because i was like you've got all this food here well, and it's import it's the same in england we uh, i think the majority of our fish we import when actually the rest of europe buy english and british fish wow. yeah I, yeah it's something i'm not sure if it's new Zealand, but it was some country and it was importing all this food when it was actually one of the big biggest producers of that said food and it wow. blew my mind that's crazy isn't it yeah um, i um, picked up a, a packet of mango from a supermarket and it was like grown in africa but packaged in asia and i was like what, oh my god what is that like why yeah. why on earth does that happen what really annoys me as well at supermarkets is when they like package fruit and veg like one tomato or something in yeah. a big piece of plastic and you're like why have you done that yeah just put it in a brown bag yeah no that's it it's just it's almost like reverting it's reverting a hundred years or so so that you go to the green grocers and you pick up your veg in a in a brown paper bag yeah. i'm all for that all for that yeah. i think that would be a better way because the, often the food's better as well absolutely yeah um anyway enough of a uh, you know a rant on <laughs> <laughs> environmental issues um but we like to talk a little bit about money um okay. and and salary expectations so we did a bit of research yeah. and this is for zoologists um so the average sort of income and conservationists is around 18 to 25 when you start out but with experience it can go up to sort of 30,000 now i know it's sort of a passion more of a passion job than a money job but does that sound right to you um it- well, first of all, you, you don't go into conservation for money, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. um, it, it is for your passion. Um, I, I, th- I think it depends on, on where you go. I mean, if you work for an NGO like WWF, absolutely, your starting salary is going to be what you've quoted. Um, for me, I mean, I'm still not anywhere near there. And when I had my job in Zanzibar... I only got paid £250 a month, but then I didn't have to pay for accommodation, food or anything. So I think it really depends on what you want to do. And for me, it was working abroad in Africa and having yeah, a job yeah. over there. So I was happy to take that job, knowing that if I did it for a year, it's the stepping stone to the next thing. So it's it, you have to be quite patient, I think, and, and just sort of work out where you want to go because yeah. there are lots of jobs where you can go in straight away and start earning 20 grand um but that wasn't what i wanted to do okay and what would be something that's not in the job description that you uh you've found out you have to deal with um i think statistics okay <laughs> i mean obviously i knew about it i had to i'd do- say you've thrown a lot of good statistics our way throughout this so <laughs> Yeah, so I had to do modules on it at university, but I think a lot of people don't think about that. They just, 
um, assume that you're just going to be sort of skipping around following rhinos. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of mathematics to it. And yeah, I mean, it's not my favorite thing to do. I, it's grown on me actually, because the more you do it, the more you're like, oh yes, I coded that piece without any errors and it's given me that result. <laughs> that feels great, fantastic at supporting my research. So yeah, you do, you do get more into it, but I hated it at university. I hated it. <laughs> God, I couldn't code, but I could certainly skip around for right eyes, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Gotta do both. Um, so how do you, or does, how does someone progress within this industry? And, you know, you mentioned earlier your social media and your, your Instagram's great. There's always, you know, a fantastic picture of a lion, elephant or rhino, whatever it be. Um, but how does somebody really progress within the industry? Um, experience and networking. Um, it comes down to putting yourself out there. Um, even if you're sending an email to an organization that's not recruiting, but you're like, hey, you know, I'm really interested in working for you guys. Um, this is what I could do for you. Maybe they're not going to reply to you that time. But in three months time, when a job becomes available and you've had a conversation with them or a coffee, they might think, oh, Lara's the right person for that job. We should we should get her down for an interview. Um, so it is really just being confident and just putting yourself out there. Um, lots of people network at conferences. So I know people that would just go and then you know most of the talking is done around the bar in the evening um, <laughs> but at the end of the day like the more people you chat to in different places the more people know who you are and then you've got a higher chance of being recommended for a job or being thought of um which sounds a bit ridiculous but i know quite a few industries are like that yeah and um, what what do you think um your progression will be what what is it you want to be doing for the next you know 10 to 30 years do you want to continue doing these field research projects yeah i mean for me i just i want to get the message out as much as possible so whether that goes into making wildlife documentaries or working with small charities to raise awareness I mean, ideally, I'd love to continue all my field work and things like that. And there are some organisations you can work with where you're based in the UK for the year, but you get to do a two-month trip abroad. Um, so something like that would be would be perfect for me. But I, all I know is that I want to make a difference, and I'm I'm going to do that however I can. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not entirely clear on how I'm going to do it or where I'm going to go, but I'm just going to keep all of my options open and get stuck in with as many things as I can and just see where it takes me really. Yeah, absolutely. And um, would you still go into the industry knowing, uh, knowing all you know now? Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant to hear. I mean, I'm biased, but I think it's one of the most incredible rewarding yeah. and just unusual jobs. You know, I don't sit in an office in London staring out the window. I'm in, I'm in the plains of Africa. Yeah following rhinos and i just think like how many how many people ever get the opportunity to do something like that so absolutely i'd do it a hundred times over i feel like i say this a lot recently doing these podcasts but actually how do i how do i get this job where do i apply <laughs> um it sounds immense like all the opportunities you've had the experience yeah. of you like you said you know a lot of people sit in offices and you know count down till five thirty. you're in the plains of africa looking after rhinos yeah you know what more do you want really yeah. um listen thank you so much for coming on i've really really enjoyed chatting thank to you. you thank you for having me guys and you know best of luck with all your future endeavors
Thank you so much. Thank you. Where can people find you on uh, social media or the internet? Yeah, so on Instagram, you can find me at Lara underscore wildlife. So that's L-A-R-A like Lara Croft. <laughs> um, and then all of all of my links for my website and things are on there. So that's probably the best one to get me at. Brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on. We'll be sure to tag you. Thank you, Lara. Amazing. Thanks. See you bye. soon. Bye. Bye.